You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. I've been told that there potentially may be no sound going through Facebook or, or on the radio. So this may be the best sermon you've ever heard ever. So... Uh, I'm going to keep rolling, and uh, we're going to figure out if, if maybe there's a problem with Facebook or the audio. It looks fine on our end. I'm not quite sure what's going on. Uh, just make a comment. Uh, Robbie is, is checking the live stream, so if you can't hear or if you can hear. It's coming through. It's coming through. Okay, I've been told it's coming through. So sorry, now you get to hear the sermon. Uh, our, our scripture lesson today comes from the book of Acts, the 17th chapter. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, And he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for God and find God. Though indeed God is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now God commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was in middle school, I remember asking my dad as we were walking along the beach, I asked him, how do you know that God is real? Now, nine times out of ten, my dad would have uh, quite a profound answer to give. My dad, who is a chemist, also has been teaching disciple Bible study as long as there has been a disciple Bible study. This is the man who said, when I asked him about creation and evolution, he said, well, son, on the tip of your finger, there is a billion carbon atoms, and carbon only comes from the death of stars millions of light years away. You are very intentionally made. The God who hung the stars had to shake them in order for you to be. This is the same man when I was studying Exodus in seminary, and it says they followed a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He said, son, the ancient Israelites 
worshipped God through a burnt offering, and burnt offerings look like a pillar of cloud by day. Burnt offerings look like a pillar of fire by night. This is just a biblical and beautiful and poetic way to say that it is their devotion to God that got them through the wilderness. Nine times out of ten, my dad would have this profound saying. Now, one out of every ten times, my dad would simply say, I don't know. (laughs) And what a healthy thing to do. When you don't know, you don't know. We can't know everything. But then there was this margin of error, this rounding error of times in which my dad was just just wrong. One of my favorite stories of that, uh, one of the very few, is um, we were watching the Saints play the 49ers. My dad had left the room, uh, and the announcer said, it's amazing that Steve Young started his NFL career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So when my dad came back in the room, uh, I said, Dad, did you know that Steve Young started his NFL career with the Buccaneers? And then my dad made what we now call in our family Steve Young face, where he went, And of course, later in the broadcast, he goes, it's still remarkable that he started with Tampa Bay and I got you. The one few, one of the few times that my dad has ever been wrong about something. So I'm on the beach and we're looking out in the ocean and dad, how do you know God is real? This chemist, this believer, this profound thinker. He said, well, son, if you look past the sandbar, I know that there are a school of fish. I don't have to see the school of fish to know that they are there. And it's because of the birds, the birds that are hovering over the water. The only reason the birds are there is because of the fish. So son, look to the birds. This text from Acts is like a look to the birds kind of moment. Paul is in Athens, which is this cosmopolitan, educated, learned community. And before our scripture lesson begins, uh, the text says, Now all of the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. They love having this philosophical debate. It seemed to be their favorite pastime. So Paul begins this apologetic discourse, which is a fancy way of saying explaining the faith. He goes on to explain the faith to them. He starts by saying, I see how extremely religious you are. Now, being religious can be a good thing, forming holy habits, gathering in community under a set of doctrine and belief, making a commitment that is beyond yourself and living for others. But being extremely religious in every way doesn't necessarily involve God or a deity at all. Have you heard someone who is They religiously wash their hands, or she religiously follows the checkbook, or he religiously follows his workout. Being extremely religious isn't necessarily a good thing. I see how extremely religious you are in every way. Paul Tillich, who is an early 20th century theologian, said that God is your ultimate concern. God is your ultimate concern. In other words, whatever you hold most precious, whatever you hold most dear, whatever it is that is your ultimate concern, that is your God. I see how extremely religious you are in every way. 
is not necessarily a compliment. He goes on to say, I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship. I imagine Paul saw shrines and temples and different houses of worship and altars. There's a a house for Zeus, a house for Hera and Poseidon and Athena, who is the namesake of the city. Andy Crouch says something interesting in his book called Culture Making. He says, when people prayed to a little clay figurine on their mantle, they didn't necessarily believe that the clay figurine was a god. They just know that they prayed to it one day and it actually rained. (laughs) So it's not necessarily so that they were praying to Zeus or praying to Athena. Rather, they were praying and devoting themselves to what that particular deity represented. Athena, for example, is the goddess of wisdom and strategy and warfare. Therefore, Athens was a city dedicated to strategic warfare and also to philosophical wisdom, as we see in our text today. The same holds true for sailors who worship Poseidon and farmers who worship Demeter. It's not so much that the sailors were envisioning a god, they just knew the importance of having a good voyage. Same with the farmers. It's not so much that they were worshiping Demeter, but they knew the importance of having a good harvest. I looked carefully at your objects of worship, Paul says. And maybe it might make us squirm a little bit. What if Paul were here today and Paul strolled down Airline Drive and then came to Asbury and says, I see that you are religious in every way. And I've seen the objects of your worship. What is it that Paul might lift up and assume are the items that we worship? Does it have something to do with frequency? There are lots of different retail establishments. That must be their ultimate concern. Lots of restaurants. That must be their ultimate concern. And, and can I say, lots of churches. Lots of churches just on airline drive. To put Paul Tillich in the mouth of Paul of Tarsus, what might our ultimate concern be? Now, now hear me clearly. I think, I think retail is necessary. I think restaurants are fine. And of course, having lots of churches certainly couldn't be a bad thing. But I've always been curious why, why there are so many. There's a, a house of Methodists and a house of Baptists and a house of Lutherans. Sometimes we poke fun at the ancient Greeks because they had so many gods, a house of Zeus, a house for Poseidon, a house for Athena, but just driving down airline, we have a house for Methodists and a house for Baptists and a house for Lutherans. It's like that old joke, right? You, you, you know this joke. A man went to heaven and St. Peter was giving him a tour of heaven and, and they went by the Methodist section of, of, of heaven and the Methodists were having a potluck and drinking grape juice and singing Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing and other Charles Wesley hymns, and they were having a great time. Uh, And then he walked by the Episcopalian section of of heaven, and they were all drinking because with every fourth Episcopalian, there's a fifth. And we, (laughs) that's that's terrible. Uh, And he he walked past the Catholic, the Catholic section of of heaven, and and he walked past the Lutheran section of heaven. But then, but then when they were getting close to the Baptist section of heaven, St. Peter said, shh, shh, be quiet. Why do we have to be quiet? Well, 
it's because the Baptists think they're the only ones here, right? And, and that's a joke. That's terrible. It's a terrible joke to tell. But it does make me think that if we are going to be worshiping the Lamb for all of eternity, all together, all who claim that Jesus is Lord, why, why do we have so many houses of worship? Maybe we should learn how to be in community with each other with the time that we have here on earth. There's a lot that we can parse out uh, from uh, Paul's introduction to this great uh, apology uh, that he gives. But he calls attention to something remarkable. He says, I noticed you have an altar to an unknown God. Now, on the one hand, this unknown God altar is quite humble. Recognizing that you don't know something is an act of humility. There are things that we know. There are things that we don't know. And even beyond that, there are things we don't know we don't know. It's quite a humble act to say, I don't know. But I'm going to find out. The great footnote of anything is that we could be wrong about everything. Because we receive the world through faulty senses, eyes, ears, uh, our, our nose, because we have to rely on the gray matter between our ears, there, we could be wrong about, about an awful lot. The great footnote of anything is that we could be wrong about everything. Therefore, we stand on grace, walk by faith, interpret scripture through tradition, reason, and experience. We do no harm, we do good, and we stay in love with God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. At least, so says the house of the Methodists. On the one hand, having an altar to an unknown God reveals humility, but on the other hand, can I say that it's, it's an insurance policy. Hey, if we have overlooked one of the gods, we are so sorry, we will make you an offering and we will correct that very soon Religion as an insurance policy. Maybe you've heard of Christianity as fire insurance policy. That's terrible. It's a terrible way to look at our faith. And maybe that's what's hidden when Paul says, I see that you are extremely religious in every way. Just trying to cover all of your bases. Make sure nothing bad happens. I appreciate at this point that Paul gives them an offering. He recognizes that God is already present, that God can already be seen, and that God is already at work even through those who don't recognize it to be God. It is a graceful apology. He says this, the God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands. What, what a scandalous thing for a former Pharisee to say. Nor is God served by human hands as if God needed anything. Also, quite a scandalous, the pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. God doesn't need anything from us. God has given to all mortals, all mortals, life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth. He allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries where they would live, and I love this, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope 
for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Or as Paul Tillich says, God is being, not a being. God is being, not a being. Since we are God's offsprings, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, thank God for that, now he commands all people everywhere to repent, which means to turn around, because God has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness, not the world judged in anger or wrath or condemnation, but judged in righteousness, which means our connection with God. Righteousness does not mean being right all the time. It means an ongoing and abiding and mutual and shared adoration with God. He will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God did not give assurance that Christ is the Messiah through power and might and a new nation state. God assured us all of Christ's teaching by raising Jesus from the dead. In other words, this judgment in righteousness leads to life. Death, where is thy sting? Death, where is thy victory? Our God put on flesh and experienced death so that we might be assured, blessed assurance, that we might be assured that our story continues in life. To an unknown God. So Paul says, well, let me reveal part of the mystery. In a way, Paul is saying, look to the birds. Look to the birds. And if you really want to live into this crazy thing we call Christianity, instead of looking to the birds, be the birds. Be that example in the world of God's mercy and God's grace and God's righteousness and justice. Be the birds for the world. The way that you live your life is much more powerful than any sermon that any of us could offer. And then sometimes life is what it is. And sometimes the best that we can do is just to be on the beach. <laughs> we haven't brought ourselves to look to the birds. We certainly can't bring ourselves to be the birds. Just getting to the beach is enough for today. But being in that place, you still hear the bird's calling. You still hear the bird's song. And you will remember that in God, you have life. In him, you move. And in him, you have your being. And you'll discover that the righteousness found in God's grace will be enough. Look to the birds, as a wise man once said. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Amen. Let us pray. Holy Father, if we have an altar to an unknown God, Father, make yourself be known. If we are struggling and we can't move to look to the birds, let us at least hear their song. And Father, those of us who are on the move and going and, and, and have held on to this assurance, help us to be the birds. Help us to sing for the world. Help us to be the sign of your grace and mercy for all to see. Even those Athenians who are very religious in every way. Father, in all things, may we share in your righteousness so that we may be judged with everlasting life. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.